0: go to philippians chapter number four this morning philippians chapter number four we are now in the last chapter of this book of the bible and we began this chapter last week and i'm looking forward to the next probably six or seven weeks as we finish uh, this book of the bible it's been a joy to work through in philippians chapter four we're going to read the first five verses last week we covered one through three today we'll cover verses four and five I will tell you in advance that as we work through the sermon this morning, you'll, you'll be kind of flipping to some scripture or tapping your way on your phone to some other scripture. So be prepared for that a little bit. But Philippians 4, let's begin in verse number one. Paul says, therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, longed for my joy, my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. So Paul has just poured out a ton of affection. My brethren, dearly beloved, I long for you. You're my joy. You're my crown. I mean, just poured it out. But right in the middle of this verse, he said, so stand fast in the Lord. He says, I I want you to be spiritually stable. I want you to be resolute in the Lord. I want you to have some steadfastness about you. So be spiritually stable. And all of us that are Christians would probably attest to the fact that we wish our lives were a bit more spiritually stable. It's very rare if I meet a genuine Christian who says, yeah, I'm exactly where I thought I would be at this point in time in my life and I'm exhibiting the spiritual stability that I thought I would have at this moment and I I just feel like I'm tracking exactly as I thought I would. Most Christians say something like, I thought I'd be a little further along. I thought I'd know a little bit more of his word. I thought it would have grown a little more, that that, that sin wouldn't have as, as much of a hold on me. as it. I thought I'd be done with it by now. Most Christians say that. But most of us, we want to be stable. We want to be firm. We want to be resolute. And Paul gives us one word in this verse, the word so. So stand fast in the Lord. That so means after this manner or in this way, which is so beautiful and unlocks the entire first nine verses of Philippians 4. In this way, be spiritually stable. Okay, what way? Well, verses two and three, he gave us the first one. I beseech Yodius and I beseech Syntyche, these are two ladies there at the church at Philippi, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. So here are two ladies and I want them to be of the same mind. I want them to get along. Verse three, I entreat thee also true Yokefellow. We don't know who Yokefellow was, just some third party that was there that was even-handed that Paul wanted to help kind of mediate the situation. He says, I, I, I entreat you also, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. So Mark 1 of spiritual stability was you have relational harmony with people that are around you in Jesus. You get along with people. You're not divisive. You're not self-centered. You're not vengeful. That's, that's not how relationships are supposed to go. But you exhibit relational wellness because you have the mind of Christ, that I'm self emptied and I'm Christ-filled, therefore my relationships are going to go a whole lot better than if I was selfish and, and, and self-aggrandizing and wanting my own way all the time. But no, I'm not going to have that. Verse number four, new content. Famous verse, coffee cup verse, is on a whole lot of coffee cups. Rejoice in the Lord always, And again, I say rejoice. Simple instruction, tough to do. Verse number five, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. What we'll continue to discover this morning is that our spiritual stability is so far removed from our circumstances, but is directly correlated to our attitudes and to our mindset and how we think. We want to be of the same mind in the Lord. We covered that last week. This week, you want to rejoice in the Lord. You also want to let your moderation be known unto all men because the Lord's at hand. Well, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Look at that line. Is your second rejoice capitalized? Who second rejoices capitalized. That's a whole lot of emphasis. All right, so this is an echo from previously in Philippians where Paul said in Philippians 3 verse 1, finally my brethren rejoice in the Lord. But now he's saying rejoice in the Lord, and then he adds always, all the time. And again I say, let me double down on this, capitalized rejoice. This is a ton of emphasis in Unmitigated, untrammeled joy should be a distinctive mark of a Christian believer and is a tremendous litmus test for spiritual stability in the life of a Christian. Why? Because we tend to be victimized by our circumstances. We tend to have circumstances that are highs and lows, ebbs and flows. And if we're not careful, we'll fluctuate, we'll vacillate, we'll teeter totter back and forth on if we're rejoicing in the Lord and if God's good or if he's not and things are bad. And back and forth we go. And Paul is saying, I want you to rejoice in the Lord and I want you to do this always. And let me just tell you again, rejoice. Paul lays it out and says, I want you to tie off your joy to the Lord, to Jesus. And if you tie your joy off to anything other than the Lord, you have the potential pitfall of being in a world of hurt. You rejoice in people, people eventually let you down. You rejoice in your success, success comes and goes. You rejoice in your health, your health will fail you possibly. But if you rejoice in the Lord, you can anchor off to, you can secure yourself to, The Lord who is unchanging that you can actually find a foundation that is sure, that is stable, to be able to rejoice in the Lord always. And when the Lord is reigning in your heart, then joy will reign in your life and you can rejoice in him always. A Christian experience is not meant to be lived down in the dumps. It's meant to be lived up in the heavenlies. This does not mean that you're immune to pain. This does not mean that, you, that you're unaffected by negative circumstances that come your way. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean that when negative circumstances come your way, you can move through those more swiftly and more powerfully than someone who does not know the Lord. That you live within the sphere of Christ's influence, and all of a sudden, these things that would that would hamper an unbeliever, now because I have the Lord, I am able to be equipped to overcome those circumstances that would normally dishearten somebody else. And Paul says, I want you to rejoice in the Lord. Don't get distracted from who you are in Jesus, from who He is, and for, from who you are in Him. Because when you do that, you will tend to navigate right over to frustration and right over to worry. And we'll hit worry and anxiety next week. But when you get away from joy in the Lord, that's where where you automatically bend. And Paul says, I want you to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Then he says, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. So I'm supposed to let something be known to all men. And that something that I'm supposed to let known is moderation. Now, what is moderation? Moderation. Really, if, if, you're, if you're reading from the King James, they'll say moderation. If you have a, a different version of the Bible, it probably they all have different words. Because this Greek word is almost untranslatable word for word. There really is no one English word that completely encapsulates all that this Greek word is. And this word has about it this sense of gentleness, patience, graciousness, forbearance. And here, here's what this means. Remember the context. This is written to the church at Philippi. Philippi is a Roman colony, so a lot of Roman citizens living there, a lot of ex-GIs living there. This colony was particularly irreligious. If you remember the beginning of Philippians, Paul had to go evangelize down by the riverside outside of the city because there was no synagogue. There really was no, there were no religious churches or places inside of the city. They, they really were able to, to bar that. So he evangelizes outside of the city. Then he goes inside the city. And what happens when he leads a couple people to the Lord? All of a sudden they persecute him. They beat him then they throw him in prison. The jailer's supposed to keep him safely, and the jailer gets some sort of weird delight out of torturing Paul. So he puts him in stocks. He puts him in solitary confinement, and he tortures the man. So this city was great at not allowing religiosity to creep up because they wanted to keep their loyalties deeply patriotic and squarely on the emperor. That was Philippi. And we know through the course of that, of that infancy in the church and the genesis of that church that they do torture Paul, but then the Lord moves in and the jailer becomes saved, and then they find out that Paul is a Roman citizen. And they think, snap, we should not have beat that guy. He's a Roman citizen. We're going to get in a lot of trouble. So they go to Paul and they say, Paul, please forgive us. Forgive us, please. Would, just, just leave. Let's let bygones be, be, be bygones. Let's, you know, let's just be done leave, go, go in peace, we're sorry. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Philippi's open for gospel business now. You're right, you should not have beat me. And that could, that could work negatively against you. So now we're just, we're just gonna have church, all right? Okay, okay, you can go ahead and have church. 10 years have gone by, now there is a church in Philippi, now people are coming to the Lord, we don't know how big or how small exactly this church is, but we can know this for certain. The attitudes of those that are in Philippi that are deeply patriotic wouldn't have changed overnight they they were in a jam because of what they did to paul but their attitudes would not have changed and it's extremely likely especially if you read the first three chapters of philippians that persecution is befalling these believers and that persecution is about to intensify on these believers and what paul is saying here when he tells them to let their moderation be known to all men he's saying you're going to be persecuted you're going to be hurt physically, emotionally, this is going to happen, and you're going to be tempted to lash out in retaliation. You're going to be tempted to go eye for eye. You're going to be tempted to be vengeful and malicious because someone is being malicious towards you and don't. Let them see your gentle non-retaliation. Let them see your patience, let them see your gentleness, let them see your forbearance, let them see your graciousness. Paul is telling them in a very terse way to do exactly what Romans 12 told us to do. Romans 12 says, recompense to no man evil for evil. Don't exchange evil. That's what we normally do, right? I have three children, two of them are are old enough to exchange evil for evil. The two-year-old and the four-year-old are able to, you hit me, so I hit you, you pinch me, so I bite you, you made me cry, I make you cry, and it comes out of them naturally, right? That's our default mode, but Paul says, no, 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 that should not be the Christian way. Don't exchange evil for evil, but provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved avenge not yourselves rather give place under wrath look if you take vengeance under your own hands you're gonna let wrath creep in don't do that for it's written vengeance is mine I will repay saith the Lord therefore if thine enemy hunger hurt him no just say that feed him (laughs) if he thirst let him be dehydrated and die no give him drink Friend, so doing that shalt heap coals of fire in his head. I don't have time this morning. Coals of fire in his head that seems like, oh, you're really going to get them. No, that's not what it's saying. It's you put a bucket, coals, you'd go warm your fire. It's a good thing. You're going to actually bless them. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. That's the instruction Paul's get, giving. Let your moderation be known unto all men. Have gentle forbearance. Don't be vengeful. Don't retaliate because after all, this is what Jesus did. Peter tells us that Jesus was reviled, and did he revile back at them? No, he reviled not again. Jesus suffered, and did he threaten them? No, he threatened not. And he committed himself to him that judges righteously. He said, Lord, I allow you to be the judge. I allow you to be the jury. I turn the case over to you, and I put it in your hands. I'm going to do what you told me to do. And even if it seems like they win, I'm going to push it up to you and I'm going to allow you to be the judge. And that is what Paul is recommending here to to believers that throughout the course of history, Christians have been persecuted and belittled and tossed to the side and, and outcast. And Paul says, that's okay. Your response to that needs to be not retaliation, but let your moderation be known. And why? Because the Lord's at hand. There's a bit of debate as to what Paul's saying. I honestly can't say for certain. He's either saying that the Lord is coming soon and His return is imminent, so look forward to glory, or he's saying that the Lord is here presently. He's with you. Both would be true. I personally believe what he's saying is more in the latter, that the Lord is there with you presently. He He is not... immune to your pain he's not he's it's not like he doesn't know what's happening he's there you can rely on him you can trust in him you can find a counselor and a comfort and some help from him so the lord is at hand and paul says you want some marks of spiritual stability so you want to stand fast in the lord here's how first rejoice in the lord always rejoice again and again and again all the time in the lord second don't retaliate when someone hurts you, when someone offends you, that's not your job, turn it over to God. Those are signs of spiritual stability. Now that, that's the instruction. It'd be very easy for me to say that and say rejoice in the Lord, Let's, next, next verse. But I, I wanna I want help us understand how can we do that? It's easy to say that, it's easy to say that. But how, how can we do that? Let, let me give you a, an illustration, or story. January 1990, Um, I'm too young to remember much of this, but I can remember brief moments of this. I'm roughly three. My oldest cousin on my dad's side, he has a sister and she had two kids, so I have two cousins, Alicia and Sean. Sean was the older and Sean was 15 at the time. His parents leave, my uncle and aunt, they tell Sean, Sean, there's a four-wheeler there, don't ride the four-wheeler while we're gone. You can do it when we get back, but not while we're gone. And they leave. And Sean disobeys. He decides that, I've ridden the four-wheeler a million times, I want to go ride again. We know Sean disobeys because a call comes to our house that Sean had been in a very terrible accident and was life to a hospital there in Louisville. And my parents need to, need to go meet. So my mom and dad run, get there, meet my uncle and aunt at the hospital and they begin to find out a bit of the details. And they find out that Sean had actually been hit by a train while he was on his four-wheeler. And we don't know if Sean was racing the train or if he didn't see the train or what exactly was happening, but he was hit by a train. And it didn't take long for word to come in that waiting room at the hospital, in ICU, that Sean had in fact not made it. And Sean had died. Philippian says, rejoice in the Lord always. He didn't say when all was well. He says rejoice in the Lord when your cousin's hit by a train. Rejoice in the Lord when cancer comes. Rejoice in the Lord when the infertility is so pervasive and it just, it plagues you. Rejoice in the Lord. It's, it's easy to say when things are easy, rejoice in the Lord. We don't, we don't need instruction for that. But always difficult. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And that's real life. That's real life. Your life can change in a moment today, tomorrow, in in an instant. It can be flipped upside down. And that happens. So if if I'm supposed to do that, if I'm supposed to rejoice in the Lord all the time, I need help. I'll do it, but I need help. I need to know how in the world am I supposed to do that? And I want us this morning to examine a book of the Bible, a short book of the Bible, that I feel is dedicated to this topic, that is dedicated to how do I rejoice in the Lord even when my circumstances are abysmal? I want you to go to the book of Habakkuk. Some of you are thinking, what is Habakkuk? I've never heard of this. Go to the book of Matthew and backtrack five books, the five short books, Habakkuk is five before Matthew. This is a story of a man, an Old Testament prophet, and I'll I'll be brief with it. It's a short story. There's a man in 600 BC who is perplexed at what God is doing. He even, in the course of the story, shakes his fist at God and says, God, you're wrong. And God, this isn't right. and This isn't fair. And he ends the story rejoicing in the Lord and finding what Paul admonishes us to do in Philippians 4.4. 4. He finds a way to get there despite his circumstances being so negative. If you're still turning, there is an index probably in the front of your Bible that'll tell you how to find Habakkuk. It's 9.55 in my Bible if that helps you. If you can't find it, if you found it, raise your hand. All right, so a good day is when you sit next to someone who's found Habakkuk in church. Just look over at theirs and they'll they'll help you, they'll help you. Habakkuk one, this guy, I love this guy because he has some gritty honesty about him. About two years ago on a Wednesday night, I preached through this with with some of you uh, and we spent six or seven weeks in this book but I I I think it'll help, I think it'll help. Habakkuk one, look at verse number one. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. So he's a prophet, he's a man of God, what did he see? Here's what he says. He's real. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? Even cry unto thee of violence and thou wilt not save. You know what back says there? God, I've been crying for a long time and it feels like you're not hearing me. It feels like heaven is shut up it feels like my prayers aren't getting through. How long am I going to have to cry about this? How long am I going to have to endure this? What's happening here? He says, I'm crying to you out of violence and now will not save. Look, Lord, the historical setting is your people here in Judah, in Jerusalem. They are not living for you. They're violent. They're wrong. They're going against your word. Lord, save us. Lord, send revival. Lord, turn the tide. Lord, do something change us I don't like what I'm seeing in our nation I don't like what's happening in front of me Lord I'm crying to you help us he starts verse 3 with the word why why ever been there God how long God why this is his cry to the Lord why are you letting this go unchecked your people are living against you verse number five go there the Lord answers and here's what God says to Habakkuk behold ye among the heathen in regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days, which you will not believe, though it be told you. Habakkuk, I'm about to knock your socks off, bro. I am about to blow your mind. I'm gonna tell you, but you're not gonna believe it. I'm gonna work a work, wonder marvelously at that. You say, oh, giddy, this sounds great. Surprise, this sounds awesome. Well, not so much. Verse 6. For lo, here's my surprise I raise up the Chaldeans. Babylon that bitter and hasty nation which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs that's not good news seven They're terrible. They're dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Their horses, they're swifter than leopards. They're more fierce than evening wolves. Their horsemen shall spread themselves. Their horsemen shall come from far. They shall fly as the eagle that hasteth to eat. They shall come all for violence. Their faces shall sup as the east one. They'll gather captivity as sand. Here's what he's saying. Habakkuk, it's not unchecked. I see my people, I know what they're doing, I know it's wrong, and here's, here's my response, I'm bringing Babylon and they're gonna punish. They're gonna march through you and they're gonna cut through you like a knife through butter, this is over. They're gonna be fast as leopards, they're gonna be like eagles swooping in just to grab what they want, they're gonna carry away captives as if they're sand, they are going to own you, you're gonna pay taxes to them, this, it's, it's done, it's over. That's not exactly what Habakkuk was hoping for. But God says, I'll I'll answer you. Here's what it is. Here is, flip over to Habakkuk 3, verse 16. Here is what happened inside of Habakkuk's heart and emotions when this came to him. We'll see his external response in a moment, but he tells us what happened when this news came. Verse 16, when I heard, heard what? Well, what God just said. When I heard, my belly trembled my lips quivered at the voice rottenness entered into my bones i trembled in myself that i might rest in the day of trouble when he cometh up unto the people he will invade them with his troops he says i was shaken on the inside my stomach was a knot my lips were quivering my bones were aching i just got the phone call that no one wants to get i'm traumatized I'm ready to drop on the floor and hang it all up. I I don't know what's happening. This This is what's going on inside of me. Let's see his external response. Go back to chapter one. Here's what Habakkuk responds to God. God, art thou not, verse 12, art thou not from everlasting, O my Lord, my God, mine holy one? We shall not die. O Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment, and, O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Sounds lofty, sounds great, sounds sounds sweet and respectful. No, it's not. Verse 13. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil. Thou canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore, lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously? Here's the key. Thou holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that's more righteous than he? God, we're wrong but they're real wrong God we're bad but they're ugly God you're taking a greasy garage rag to try to clean a dirty dish you can't do this God I I know you I know how you judge I know who you are I I know that you're pure eyes to to say you know Lord you're not going to do this you can't do this this would be unfair this would be unjust this would not be right you can't do this God that's Habakkuk's response He's shaking his fist. Lord, I know a little bit about you, and I know enough to know that this isn't you, and you won't do this to me. You won't do this to us. We're wrong. I get that we're wrong, but this is unfair, God. Here is the Lord's response to this. And by the way, if you live long enough, you'll get there. You'll get to that moment where you say, this is my life. These are the facts. These are the circumstances. It's undebatable. It's undeniable. It's undeniable. But God, you can't do this. God, this couldn't be from you. God, this this couldn't happen. No way, no way. You'll get there. So here is chapter two, verse one. Habakkuk ends his little spiel against God. And this is what he says. I will stand upon my watch. I will set me upon my tower. And I will watch to see what he will say unto me. And what I shall answer when I'm reproved. Habakkuk got a little bit of swagger about him. I'm gonna go up here i'm gonna stand here i'm gonna wait for you to answer me back and i know i'm gonna get reproved but i'm just gonna chew on what i'm gonna say back to you god i I know i'm wrong i know you're gonna correct me but bring it on booyah let's go i want to argue this is a backup this is real i i love that he's authentic i love that the bible gives us this it's real so here's god's response verse 2 next verse the lord answered me and said Write the vision. Make it plain upon the tables that he may run when he readeth it. Write it in stone, big boy. Make it real clear. People are going to read this and they're going to run in terror. Verse 3. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. At the end it shall speak. It shall not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it because it will surely come. It will not tarry. I know when it's going to happen, Habakkuk, don't hold your breath too long, it's coming. Not right now, this instant, but it's coming, and it's not going to take very long. Verse number four, the central verse and the key to the whole book, behold, his soul, talking about Habakkuk's soul, which is lifted up, it's not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. God says, Habakkuk, you want a reproof, here it is, you're wrong, you're wrong. You're magnifying yourself, you're lifting yourself up, you're assuming that you can tell me what to do, you're wrong, the just shall live by faith. There's no logic thus far, zero logic. It's Habakkuk, write me a blank check. You're you, I'm me, write me a blank check. This is the verse that Paul uses in Romans chapter 1, in Galatians chapter 3, he quotes that verse. This is the verse that the author of Hebrews uses in Hebrews chapter 10, right before he march in, marches into the hall of faith. This is the verse that he quotes. This, this was a verse that, that meant a lot to Jewish people, still does, and should mean a lot to Christian people that just lives by faith. It's okay, let me just stop for a moment, let me pause. It's okay to be hurt. It's okay to be bothered. It's okay for you to express your emotions to the Lord. The Lord wants your emotions to be poured out before Him, but it is not okay to misunderstand your position in the, in the matter. We are human, we are finite, we are men, and God is God. We love to celebrate ourselves. We love to lift ourselves up. We, we watch I don't know if any of you watch the, the NFL draft. I normally watch the first round and I turn it off after that. But it's it's amazing. You'll watch the draft and they'll first round draft pick. Oh, this guy has unlimited potential. Uh, he's limited. He's very, very limited. I don't care how much creatine, steroids, testosterone you put in that puppy. He's limited. He, he is not unlimited. God is, but he is not. And nor are you and nor am I. And I, I don't, Every one of you, me, I don't care how big your brain is, how well it functions, I don't care how athletic you are, I don't care how musically gifted you are, I don't care how much success you've had, how much money you have, you are very limited, and man loves to exalt man. We, we love to live in this very westernized, Americanized, Oprah-ific kind of day well I can do it it's possible it's the sky's the limit I have unlimited potential it's, it's you know I can I can reach that it's in my power I can live the dream that's the air that we breathe we love to tell ourselves that we're awesome and God is trying to tell Habakkuk and I'll remind you you're not awesome but he is he's telling you the just shall live by faith faith in him rejoice in the Lord Okay, how do I get there? I, I hate to bounce around this morning, but I want to give you one other passage. You don't have to turn there because we'll put it on the screen. Stay in the back because we're coming back there. This is Romans 11. Paul has just extolled to us salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, God rescuing us, God saving us according to his plan. He's just walked through all the theology. And this is Paul, he's systematic. He's, he's ABC, one, two, three, that's Paul. He's, he's not prone to break out in song and dance like he's on Broadway. But in Romans 11, at the end of the chapter, he does. He, he, he does it, he goes, he goes high school musical on us and he gives us this, this portion that is just unbelievable. So Romans 11, verse 33. Oh, O oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Who hath first given to him that it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I think this ties into Habakkuk, so let me, let me parse this out. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. God is rich in wealth. He he owns all of earth, all of the cosmos, it's all His. But God is rich, Paul says, in wisdom and knowledge. Let's just chew on that for a sec. God knows every fact in the universe. God knows everything that has ever happened. He knows how everything works. Anything recorded, anything unrecorded, he knows it all. He knows everything on a macro level, every planet, where it's at, its location, the mountain on planet Z that we have not even discovered yet, he knows it's there. He knows everything on a micro level, every every molecule, every atom, every... Anything that's molecular, he he knows it all. and, And through him, all of that consists. He knows every event that has ever happened. And that event happened because of the events that led before it. And that event will lead into events after it that will domino into events after it that will domino into events after it and so on and so forth. Before there was a tree, before there was dust, before there was ground, before there was Adam, before there was Eve, God knew you would be sitting here today and would be hearing what I'm saying. He knows it all. He knows it all. He not just knows it, but he's in it all. He's outside of time. God knows everything. And Paul says, oh, the depths of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. So how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. His, what he does is inscrutable. You're gonna scrutinize him? You're gonna take your little human brain and analyze God and what he's doing and scrutinize who he is and what he does? Half of you don't even know where your car keys are at right now. (laughs) If I took a poll, you probably couldn't even tell me what you set the thermostat to before you came to church. You have to check your little nest on your phone to figure that out. And you're you're, you're gonna know God's ways? You're gonna scrutinize him? You're gonna tell him that what he's doing is wrong? The Bible describes your life like a, like a vapor, like a mist. We get that, it's cold, we breathe, they are gone. There's the old adage, here today, gone tomorrow. Biblically, here today, gone today. We are short, we are small, we are finite. Just think about the depths of who God is. So let me ask some rhetorical questions, verse 34. Who's known the mind of the Lord? who's been his counselor. Now, we can know some of the mind of the Lord. Habakkuk even knew a little bit of the mind of the Lord, and that's why we have scripture. It helps us to know that. But you're going to know enough of the mind of the Lord to say, God, let me counsel you. God, let me, let me tell you what you're doing. And, um, and, and here's what I think. You know, come over here a second. Let me bend your ear. I, what, what you're doing in my life, you know, I kind of understand why you would do that, but I don't think you've thought about this. You know, that, that may affect my uncle and aunt in a negative way. I don't think you've thought about that yet. So why don't, why don't you do this? God, oh, come here. You know, I like what you're doing in the East. I like Beijing. That's cool. But, but London, yeah, I'm, I'm not so sure that that's the right course of action. I mean, may, maybe you should do this. And God goes, oh, mm, okay. <laughs> yeah. Man, I didn't think of that. That's, that's so wise, profound. <laughs> you're gonna do that with God? It's a rhetorical question. It's a silly question. You're gonna counsel him? That's what Habakkuk's trying to do. God, you can't. You're too just, you no, no. You can't, you can't use the, the bad people to, to punish the kind of bad people. You can't do that. You're gonna tell him what he should do? Verse 35, who has first given to him that shall be recompensed unto him again? You're gonna put God in your debt? You're gonna give him something so he owes you? you you're gonna box God into where you owe me one God? Well, God, I, I, you know, I, I did it. I went to church, and, and I, I tried to be a good little boy. And I tried to be a good little girl. and da, da, da. So, so life can't go that way. You guarantee me. You promised me it'll be grand. It'll be awesome. It'll be, it'll be great. No negative circumstance. God, you owe me. What, what are you going to give to God that he owes you? I'll give him my life. I'll, I'll barter with that. He already owns your life. He died for you, and he owns everything. He created you. If he wants your life, he'll take it in a second. He's God. What are you going to use to leverage your position to try to make God do it your way? How are you going to? How are you going to barter with him? Paul saying you're not. Lewis said it this way. He said we're like little kids who go to Grandpa and we borrow sixpence. Then we take his sixpence and we go buy him a present and then we give to Grandpa the present. He says Grandpa's sixpence none the richer. What are you gonna give back to God that he doesn't already own? You're not going to. You're not gonna put him in your debt. Verse 36, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever, amen. It all flows through him, so give him glory and give him praise and do that forever. That's God. Now, There's a whole lot more to God than that, but that's that's part of who God is. And God tells Habakkuk, Habakkuk, who do you think you are? You got my high and mighty here. I I don't know how this happened. Understand who I am. The just shall live by faith. Now, hopefully, you're still in Habakkuk. Look at the end of chapter 3. Habakkuk takes this to heart, wrestles it out, and eventually gets to this moment. We read 16 about what happened internally. Here's 17. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail. The field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold. There shall be no herd in the stalls. He's saying the necessities of life and the niceties of life are going to be gone. The fig, gone. Fruit, gone. Oil, gone. Fields, gone. Obliterated. Flocks, gone. Wool, gone. All of it, gone. He says, I know what God told me. They're going to come. They're going to wipe us out. They're going to kill us. They're going to conquer. They're going to enslave us. They're going to rip children from the arms of their mother. They're going to destroy our temple. They're going to take a Daniel, and this is what happened. They're going to take a Daniel away into Babylon. They're going to castrate him and make him their little slave as long as he lives. They're, gonna, they're going to do this. It's going to ruin our economy. It's going to ruin who we are. This is going to be a ton of hurt being poured out on our heads. They're going to tax us. This is what's going to happen. And I know it. I can't change the circumstances. Verse 18. Yet, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. That's exactly what we're told to do in Philippians 4. The Lord God is my strength, and He will make my feet like hinds feet. He will make me to walk upon my high places to the chief singer on the stringed instruments. This is poetic language because it was set to music. He says, Despite my circumstances, I will still joy in God. I will still rejoice in God. I will find my strength in God. And he is going to, I love the language, he's going to make my feet like hinds feet in the high places. He's going to make me like a mountain goat walking on these cliffs that you'd naturally think that mountain goat's going to fall over and die. But I'm going to be there stable in an unstable spot that you would naturally think that was just leaned into instability. I'm going to be stable on the mountain there. Paul says, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. Philippians 4, you want spiritual stability? Rejoice in the Lord. These are correlated. I am going to be spiritually stable because I joy in the God of my salvation. I rejoice in him, not because my circumstances changed. They never changed. God was true to his word. Babylon conquered. Circumstances did not change. And what Habakkuk discovered is the key to rejoicing in the Lord. He was going to rejoice in the Lord and find joy and strength not in his what, but in his who. That you rejoice in the Lord. You attach it to him. You push it vertically. Horizontal can be terrible, but vertically you know who he is, you know who he's making you to be in him, and you live out of that. So, so how How do I rejoice in the Lord always? How do I have pain come my way at the hand of somebody and I don't don't retaliate, I'm not vengeful? You understand who God is. God is not surprised by whatever is ailing you right now. God is not in heaven getting push notifications on his phone. Oh, cancer, I, I had no idea they just got in a wreck Gabriel get the ambulance going let's get down there man let's save this I had no idea this was going to happen today that's not who God is that's not how he operates God doesn't sit around watching our presidential elections two years ago six years ago popping popcorn like oh I wonder what's going to happen here they're crazy that's not who God is he rules in the kingdom of men he knows all and when you get a hold of that and you understand who he is, that was the only fix for Habakkuk's heart. He went from God, why? God, how long? God, it's not fair. God, bring it on. I'm ticked at you. Two, I rejoice in the Lord. I joy in God. He's my strength. I love him. He's making me stable. Nothing changed in his life other than his perspective on who God was. That was it. And if you... If you can't get there, you stand no chance to rejoice on the Lord on those dark days. Now, I, I wanna be careful, I'm almost done. I wanna be careful. This, this isn't kitschy, this isn't, this isn't kitty. Right, this, this isn't spirit sprinkles, all right? Cheerleaders in the room, this isn't spirit fingers. Yeah, everything's great, spirit fingers. Cancer, woo, love it. You don't find out that your cousin died and rejoice in the Lord always and again. Isn't it? That's dumb. It's not real. It's dumb. But this is saying that when the dark days come, when it feels like your life is unraveling, when your heart is about to explode, when, you, when the things enter that, Lord, I, I would not have planned this. I would not have done this. I don't, I don't even understand fully. I don't get why this is here. I don't, I don't get the sickness. I don't get the pain. I don't get the job loss. I don't get, I don't get any of it, Lord. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. But God, I rejoice in you. I know who you are. I know, I know that you love me and that you redeemed me. And you didn't do that so that you could toy with me so you can play a little game with me. I know that this is given to me, and God, this is tough. And I don't know how to handle all this, and Lord, I know that that everything I have is from your hand, and I know that my life, and my kids, and my health, they're from you, and I'm supposed to hold them loosely, but Lord, I kinda wanna hold on to them, and it's tough. But God, I know you're near. I know you're at hand. I know you're here with me. You're not, you're not removed from this moment. You're here with me, and I trust you. That, that's rejoicing in the Lord. It's easy to do it when, it when the days are easy and everything's going according to plan. It's easy. I don't need to give you instruction on that. But how do you do it always? How, how do you make that part of your life all the time. How does someone hurt you and you not wanna get back and you're just able to turn it over to him? you understand who he is? You rest, you trust, you put your faith, and you say, God, I know who you are and I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna settle there. I'm gonna, re- I'm gonna rest in that. I'm gonna joy in that. I'm not going to be vengeful. I'm going to lean into you. That's what Paul's saying. You, you want to you be spiritually stable. It's not easy. I, I told you up front, those words are not easy. But you rejoice always in the Lord. You, you let your attitude and disposition be one of I don't need to get even, I don't need to go eye for eye. I can let it go and I can turn it over to God. He judges. I can do that because I know he's here. He's not removed from this. He's, he's here to help and I'm gonna stay there. And I hope that you can get there because if you can, you'll be Habakkuk. You'll be almost impervious to the circumstances. It'll hurt still, but you'll be able to navigate through that with power and swiftness that you would never find elsewhere. And you'll be able to rejoice in the Lord and say, I'm I'm in an unstable spot, but I'm stable because I know him.